0: Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Clayman. So Matt is a physical therapist and orthopedic clinical specialist, currently located in Chicago. However, he's about to move to New York City area. He specializes in dry and blood flow restriction and has a specialist interest in running. He's previously served on the medical staff for USA Track and Field Race Running along with the Professional Squash Association. So that makes him the perfect person today to discuss barefoot running and how you could incorporate it to potentially improve practice. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Matt onto the show. So Matthew Clayman, welcome to the Science for Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so I am a uh, physical therapist
1: and uh, I also manage an outpatient facility uh, Chicago, Illinois currently. Um, so I've been I've been in physical therapy for seven years. Um, I specialize in orthopedics, so I also have my uh, orthopedic clinical specialty. Um, and I've had kind of a special interest in foot and ankle rehabilitation along with uh, running injuries over
0: the years. And that means you're the perfect person to discuss uh, barefoot running and exactly what it is, why it could be important, um, some of the, the ups and downsides. But before we go into all the depth on that, like, what is it? Like, because it, it sounds like there's lots of people going about like hippies running around with the shoes off. Um, is it is it that extreme or the, is there a kind of a medium? So
1: it's an interesting topic to deal with. I think it's one of those topics where uh, people have differing opinions on it, but there's a central theme to it and a reason why people do it. Um, it kind of started off, uh, if you really look into, like, ancient times, it actually started uh, with the Romans uh, with the first marathon where they would run from um, Athens to Sparta and they actually did this barefoot. So that's kind of the originating thing with it. But when we look at like more modern times, the first example is actually in the 1960 Olympics. Um, There was a guy named Abid Bakali. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, He was from Ethiopia and uh, he won the 1960 uh, Olympic marathon. Uh, running barefoot so he ran it in two hours and 15 minutes uh, which was a world record at the time um, it wasn't purposeful uh, he actually a couple I think it was either a couple days or a couple hours beforehand shoes fell apart so he couldn't use shoes so he he just ran it barefoot and he actually won um, so that was kind of like the first time it was seen in modern times and throughout the 1970s it was utilized in some different races and all of that um, but I think it really got its popular trend in, 20, uh, in 2009. Uh, Christopher McDougall made the book Born to Run. So that became kind of a cultural icon um, where he was an author who spent time with the Terra Humara uh, Indians who ran barefoot their entire existence. So uh, they ran barefoot, but then they developed an actual sandal that you know, it was just a flat sandal that they would run in and they used it for years and years and years. Um, and the whole premise behind the book is that we don't need these bulky shoes. We don't need these orthotics, these supports to help us running. Look at our ancestors, look at what they did. Um, it's all about just getting closer to the ground and getting more of a connection with the ground. So from there, more and more companies started to get on this trend. So if you look at Vivo Barefoot, Vibram, Merrill, Ultra, they're all different shoe companies that kind of hopped on this trend. Um, and from there, that trend has only grown. But, you know, from over the years, now there's been some back and forth about the what and
0: the why with it. I think it's interesting to discuss then the the difference in uh, shoes which are available and the difference in running styles of that then. Um, elicits right. So my my initial reaction, and it's, it happens every time when someone says, "Yeah, but our ancestors," I'm like, "Well, did our ancestors <laughs> run really fast, or yeah. like if they had a pair of mics would they run I faster?" I, 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 I know. Yeah. I'm 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 like, yeah. Well, we don't have any hundred meter times for them. So I mean, are we are we are we applying um, some kind of false information, assuming that early was better, um, despite no evidence to suggest that that's true, but. Um, when we, when we look at the science behind it, what are the difference in running styles? Because that's something that that clearly changes, right? What, what, what happens when you use a a quote unquote regular running shoe compared to a a barefoot style? So there's three big,
1: uh, things that we look at. So we look at first the way the shoe is constructed from heel to the front of the foot. So in a traditional running shoe, um,
0: you know, just give me a second. Let me grab a shoe so I can show you what I can course. For everyone listening, he's just running, running away into his living room right now to uh, to go and grab some shoes. <laughs> so this is actually more of a,
1: uh, a minimal shoe, but okay. Basically, when we look at a shoe, this is called the heel counter. So the heel counter is in the back of the shoe, and then we have the front of the shoe. So when we're describing the difference, we're looking at the difference from the heel to the front of the foot. And in a traditional shoe, that goes from anywhere from an eight millimeter drop to a twelve millimeter drop.
0: So that's, that's basically at, like a, a raised heel situation, right? So you've got exactly, a, a yeah. wedge-shaped shoe with a large heel yes. and a small, um, a small kind of uh, firm underlayer and the, the toes. Yeah. So
1: then when we look at a minimalist shoe,
0: then that drop goes
1: from zero to four millimeters. So your foot is flatter to the ground. So when we look at like the barefoot style, minimalist style, that's the big difference in terms of the actual shoe. So from there, if you have a a shorter heel length, you're gonna be more prone to land towards the front of your foot than the back of your foot. The only reason why you land towards the back of the foot with those traditional shoes is because of the, the wedged heel. So when you land towards the front of the foot, your stride gets shorter because you're trying to land closer. So with a shorter stride, you're not actually extending your stride length too much so it's supposed to be more economical for you because you're not wasting as much energy through your stride. Uh, the second big thing with that is, like I said, because your strike is in the front of the foot instead of the back of the foot, when we hit the ground, the ground reaction forces, and a ground reaction force just basically means the different what happens when we strike the ground, the force that comes straight back up. So instead of being on the heel and dispersing upward towards the knee and the hip, the foot is getting more of the dispersion of that. Ground reaction force. So, the problem with some of the traditional running shoes is that when we have that ground reaction force, that goes into your hips and knees, and that can lead to uh, tendinitis issues, um, labral issues, joint issues, things like that, because of all that force coming onto the hip and knee. So, the forefoot style is supposed to be better for you in terms of an injury risk because you're not having those stresses. Now, there are stresses, and we can get into that with the forefoot strike because you're you're putting more stress on your foot and your calf. Um, but that's for another story. Um, the biggest the the other thing that's pretty big with these um, minimalist shoes is the sensation you get. So when you're dealing with a traditional running shoe, you have a big bulk of foam, or whatever the material is, separating your foot from the ground. When you're in a minimalist shoe, that doesn't have as much as that your foot muscles, the sensors in your foot are forced to work harder. So they're forced to kind of be turned on, um, which doesn't necessarily happen in these traditional shoes. So again, your foot is working a lot harder, but working
0: in a good way, I would say. So there's, there's kind of three clear differences. Um, is there any evidence to suggest that the injury risk that you mentioned um, in in the in a total picture, like big scale, is there any evidence to suggest that the injury risk is less with uh, minimalist shoes compared to uh, traditional shoes?
1: I think it really depends on the type
0: of research you look at. Uh, there's a ton of studies that show
1: that there. When you look at a study comparing a traditional shoe to a minimalist shoe, there's a lot of studies that show that yes, when they were comparing it for knee injuries, let's say that there was less knee injuries, but then they found that there was a higher calf strain to the, to the muscle. So I think it really depends on the type of research you look at, but from a conceptual standpoint, it makes sense, right? So we're, we're shortening our strides. So obviously we're not putting as much stress through our feet. We're spending more, we're actually putting more, steps into the ground but we're spending less time in those steps on the actual ground so there's less of a chance of those forces kind of dispersing where they shouldn't disperse so long story short i think it really depends on the type of research you look at um i personally find from a patient perspective that it really depends on the type of person they are the type of morphology they have their body weight the way that they hit the ground to begin with so um just like they say in PT school all the time, everything depends.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can imagine it, it suits a certain type of runner, especially. But when you, when you then look at some of the physiological outputs. So you mentioned, for example, ground contact time and stride length. Um, how does, how does that different type of shoe affect the physiology of running? So you mentioned those, those two things, but is there, is there anything else at, for example, an, uh, an energy expenditure level an efficiency level? How, how does that look? Yeah, so from an energy standpoint, because your stride is shorter, the, the actual muscles
1: of the lower extremity aren't going through the same range of motion they were before. So instead of going from, and depending on like an eccentric contraction or a full muscle length, it's more of a concentric um, contraction to the calf muscles and having them work harder than the actual quads and glutes working harder. So you're just really, you're changing uh, what has to kind of be the prime movers of your running form. So yes, stride length is one thing. The ground reaction forces is is the other thing. Um, The amount of sensation going into the foot is the other big thing there. Um, So again, I think it's it's really about what's working. So that's why you really have to prime and transition yourself properly. So I never have somebody who's running in a 12 millimeter shoe go straight to barefoot because then what's gonna happen instead of their knee and hip bothering them, it's their foot and their calf that's going to hurt them. So one of the biggest risk factors with the barefoot style running is the metatarsal issue. So the metatarsals are the, the long foot muscle, long foot bones that attach to our toes. So if you're putting more stress through them when they're not used to it, that can lead to, um, you know, under recovery, stress fractures, stress reactions. And then with the calf, we can lead to more strains because, again, we're putting those muscles on shortening when they're not used to it. So again, that kind of just forces them to work harder than they should be. So with that transition, it's really important to prime the muscles that are getting used um, and make sure that they're getting the work they need to get.
0: So obviously, that's that's gone through some of the, the injury risks. Are there any other injury risks that we should be aware of if you if you're going to consider transitioning? Because we can touch on how to transition later. But um, you, you've mentioned a couple of different injury risks. Are there any other? things that you, you think are worth mentioning? I mean, uh, if you stand on glass, for example, is that gonna be a big issue? I mean, how, how does that look? So
1: I think that uh, one of the biggest issues too that we didn't mention is the plantar fascia. So yeah, you know, plantar fascia is such a big issue in, our, in the world, in the community, and especially in runners. So, you know, a lot of people will go through this and there's a bunch of different factors, but um, if you're going into this type of transition with a problem there or a problem in your foot, the barefoot style can can make it worse. So that plantar fascia needs to be able to handle the amount of force going into the ground. So, again, if you're not transitioned properly and your foot isn't used to that, everything has to work harder. And when it's not primed to work harder, then that's where things can you know go haywire.
0: And the, the plantar fascia is just um, towards the toes from the yeah, heel, so right? So it's, it's, it's the, if the this is foot, just the heel and just my
1: hand, I always use my hand as my foot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but basically, it runs basically from the top of your toes up here, mostly on the first ray, mm-hmm. and comes all the way into the heel and kind of connects on the Achilles and the calf and all that. So it's all continuous along there. Fascia is basically just, it's a spider web between our bones. So it connects muscles and bones and kind of creates a. Uh, a structure to everything
0: perfect perfect so when when we're looking at things like um the sporting context which a lot of people listening will be then looking to apply this into um do you think it's then beneficial for athletes in various different sports to to train like this to do some barefoot running potentially in the in the off season so that it doesn't um, impact their direct performance uh, negatively potentially when you're going to make that transition but do you think that they can benefit from uh from this kind of training
1: yeah i think everyone can i think i go
0: back to that individual thing it kind of depends on the type of person right
1: mm-hmm. um but i think as far as getting outside of running when i was talking before about kind of the sensation and all that it's great for your foot to be able to experience new sensations and new textures because that's only going to help it get stronger so if i can get a football player you know And you have to be careful with the type of activity. I don't want somebody jumping barefoot when they're not used to it. But if I can have somebody going through uh, stretching, going through their warm-up barefoot on grass, it may make them better when they're going to their cleats because it makes their feet stronger because they're getting used to this. So I think if you look at different sports, you can always get benefit out of doing things as long as you're doing it in a safe environment. Um, The other thing is you see a lot of guys and girls who are training in the gym that are training in these types of shoes or training barefoot. And I think that's also pretty good. Um, because what you're doing is you're strengthening the small muscles of your foot. You have, uh, over 30 muscles in the, in the planar surface of your foot. And just like any type of muscle, if you don't use them, you're going to lose them. So, um, Anything you can do to kind of get those those sensors working again and kind of get things turned on will be beneficial. So if you're doing a squat pattern, if you're doing a lunge pattern, and you can do it outside of a shoe, you can work on your balance, you can work on your strength, you can work on your proprioception, kind of knowing where you are in space. So I think it just adds another element to what someone can do to make themselves stronger. Um, you know, there's obviously risks with things, and you have to just make
0: sure that you're doing the
1: right stuff. but for the general population, I think it's a good idea to be doing this once in a
0: while. And would you advise it also to, to younger athletes? So for example, um, kids through 10 to to 18, how, how would that advice potentially differ for, for children and adolescents?
1: I think you have to be careful on the lower end of that um, just because of, you know, kids bones at that, at those ages, especially in the lower end of those ages are still forming and things are still developing. So, if you go take a kid who's 10 years old and tell him to run a 5K with, without shoes, there's a risk that he could have a growth plate fracture. There's a risk that because of uh, you know growing pains that he can have tendon injuries and things like that. So I think you have to be careful with the lower end. But then when that development uh, continues to increase, I think that's something you can transition into. I would never suggest a kid who has never done it go straight to it. You need to have this proper transition with it. But I think if you're on the higher end, you're a
0: little bit safer than if you're on the lower end of that. And let, let's get into that transition, right? So uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times, the, the transition from a, a regular shoe through to uh, a barefoot running shoe. How would you go about advising someone to do that? So if I, let's take, if I have a patient that comes into physical
1: therapy and, uh, and is getting injured with a running and we decide, hey, like your running form really needs to change. So the first thing i'll do is i'll measure their actual cadence so cadence is just basically we're looking at the steps they're taking per minute so if someone's doing this on their own, what they can do is just basically time themselves running for a minute and they can count the amount of steps that happen on their left foot and times it by two to get the rough estimate of their cadence per minute. if I'm doing it with somebody, I can actually take I can actually time them and count it myself so when they look at elite athletes let's say um kind of the, the standard number they use is 180 beats per minute. And what they found, they looked at a couple of studies that found a lower injury risk and a higher performance with that number. So that's the number that I'm telling somebody, Hey, this is where the top of the top we're going is at 180. But if you're starting at 140 beats per minute and I try and get you to 180 beats per minute, the first time that's where injuries and stuff are going to happen. So what I do is I treat it like kind of a run walk method. I'll have them go 30 seconds on, 30 seconds on with this new cadence. So if they're starting at 140 beats per minute, I'll have them go to 150 beats per minute. And the way that I had them do this is I had them use either a metronome app on their iPhone, or I'll have them listen to higher cadence music. So if you go on Spotify, you can type in 160 beats per minute music, and you'll find playlists that go to that. So whichever way they kind of want to try to transition to that, Um, I'll have them do that. So let's say they go 30 seconds on their first day, and then I'll have them go 30 seconds off to their normal cadence. And then there's this just gradual progression of the time that they're doing that and the different surfaces they're doing that at. So let's say week one, they're starting at 140 beats per minute. Week two, we go to 150 and so on. You never want to go more than a 10% increase with it. So you just want to be mindful with that. Um, So once I get them to that comfortable cadence, as long as newer injuries aren't popping up, things like that. Um, We can continue on with that with continuing the mileage with that. So from there, um, if they're in a traditional running shoe and they're not having issues, I'll keep them there. There's no problem with having those shoes. Uh, I myself still run mostly in traditional running shoes, but I've Gotten to this four-foot strike where I'm having that higher cadence. So if they're not having problems, I'm not going to transition them out of it. But if we are still having issues, or we want to try that, I'll have them try one of these zero heel drop shoes. Now, with that, you always have to be careful because you are changing the structure. So again, that's where we go back to making sure that you're mobilizing the correct muscles and strengthening the correct muscles. And that you know that's where you come into play with a rehab professional um, helping you design that. But it's this basically transition in terms of uh, similar to that run walk method where you're not going hundred percent, um, into the transition right away. You're slowly doing it until it becomes more normalized for yourself.
0: Absolutely. Excellent. So my ma- massive thanks for your time and effort. I really appreciate it. It's been really interesting. Um, where can people find out some more information about you and, uh, some of the stuff that you've been up to?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you can look at my Instagram page, uh, it's kinetic claim PT for Instagram. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and then I am uh, currently looking for a new opportunity. I'm moving to New York next week, so I'll have more opportunity, more uh, knowledge of where I'm gonna be, but uh, that's where you can find me right now. Perfect,
0: thank you very much, mate. It's been a pleasure talking and I look forward to speaking thanks soon. Thank you so much, I enjoyed it. Cheers buddy, bye. And that's it once again, a massive thanks to Matt for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I wanna point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Now the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get your hands on some more great sports science information, click the link in the show notes where you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free for seven days. So you can click that link in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, an athlete, a colleague, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport. And I'll speak to you next week